Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. Thank you, Father, for making this possible. Thank you for anointing me and blessing us today, Lord, to understand uh, the great things that you're doing and um, the testimonies that you're giving to your saints uh, through praise. And we thank you for it much, in Jesus' name. All right, we're going to start with uh, Ministering Angels through UBM, number 10. And um, I would say a a subtitle could be uh, Praise Brings Testimonies, number 2. And um, I'm going to share Matthew and Anna Stewart's revelation here and their testimony. Um, on 831.22, we called it Restoration and Deliverance. Matthew Stewart said, <clears throat> At the eighth day, praise and worship, anointing and celebration, when the first song was playing, I felt the presence of the Lord fill the room. And then, immediately, I was filled up with the Holy Spirit, and I felt a lot of weight come off of me, and a great deliverance. And when we kept on singing to the next song, it was like I had a knowing in my spirit that I could see a lot of angels joining in with us in praise and worship to the Lord. The following Monday night meeting, we were in praise and worship, and the Lord spoke to me and said, You have been restored to your former glory. Now, I knew what this meant, because for the last few years I had backslidden, and the Lord was trying to get my attention, and ultimately uh, breaking my back in a car accident. So now I feel free. Uh, So what the Lord meant by being restored to my former glory was being restored to the point I was at before I started running away from the Lord. And by the way, Anna told me he's a different man. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Uh, Anna Stewart said, Frustration has always been a stronghold in my life for as long as I can remember, often showing up in frustration towards my children that I knew was unreasonable. I was so grieved over it, and I felt like I was getting worse instead of overcoming. I was even tempted with fears that maybe I really was getting worse because I was reprobated and not elect. And uh, would this would thus never be able to overcome? It was a hard battle to fight because I could feel the spirit of frustration come into me 
but I had to treat it like a lying symptom and believe that it was gone, even while still feeling it. At the eighth day praise and worship anointing and celebration, my baby was screaming and crying continually, and I couldn't calm her down. I had to leave the room where all the saints were, and I was feeling frustrated again because I was thinking I may miss something important from the Lord. I kept casting it down, but nothing changed. But at the next meeting night, when we came together, my baby did the same thing, and I had to step out of the room for almost an hour while she cried and screamed. But then I realized the frustration was gone. Although I wanted to be in the room, I really didn't mind having to leave the room to try to comfort her unsuccessfully. It was an incredible feeling of freedom. Thoughts and emotions of frustration tried to tempt me a few times, but they seemed weak, and I felt so strong to overcome. It felt like only my flesh and no longer a demon. I felt so empowered by the Lord to hold on to my deliverance and give the enemy no ground. Praise the Lord for freedom. And I might say that after Anna overcame this demon of frustration, her baby was delivered too, and now is a very peaceful and calm baby in our meetings with a lot of joy on her. Okay, another testimony. Taryn's mom healed. This is Taryn Ezel, 8-25-22. Taryn requested us to pray and agree with her at our Monday night prayer meeting that followed our eighth day anointing, uh, praise and worship celebration, concerning her mom. She said, my mom is an unbeliever, and I had a conversation the other day with her because of her debilitating pain and sciatica that runs down her back into her legs and the osteoarthritis and neuropathy in her feet. I asked her if she would follow Christ if he healed her of these things. She said she thinks of him all the time. And I said, well, that's not really following the Lord. She exhibits no fruit, but I have been praying for her since 2009. Uh, last night, she said her hip was hurting pretty bad in addition to her usual pains and asked if I would pray for her. And I told her we were at the fellowship, and yes, we would pray. So I asked everyone... Uh, at the meeting to agree with me and pray uh, the Lord would touch her hip and that she would know it was Him. <laughs> well, our fellowship has been experiencing much power in prayer, resulting in uh, many miracles and quick answers to our prayers since we obeyed the Lord's message through the angels. My mom wrote me early the next morning and said, I slept so good, and my hip is so much better. Praise the Lord. My mom doesn't sleep well either, 
and usually takes Benadryl to sleep. So that was an added bonus. Thank the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, um, I'm going to update you on um, a testimony I've already shared, but there's a really good ending to it. I'd like so I'd like to recap it just a little bit. And I'm calling this deliverance from pests. And um, the dreams that we have had show that the faction uh, was throwing witchcraft curses at us, and the angels uh, were throwing them back. Actually, what we've discovered is it was pretty good practice for us. Uh, we we gained discernment, we gained wisdom, and of course we were shown clearly how to uh, break uh, any curses that were sent against us. So the angels just uh, told us that they are covered with these curses. That is, the people that threw them in the first place. They're covered with these curses that they sent. And one of these curses was an invasion of millipedes under our house and deck, which we came against by faith. Michael, Brandy, and I noticed that we could walk through the house and see no millipedes in front of our paths, and then turn immediately around, and we would see them where we had just walked, right behind our feet. Okay, you say, that's not possible, uh, naturally speaking. Yes, we know that. That's one reason we knew it was witchcraft. Uh, so the millipedes can't obviously move that fast, uh, so we knew this was witchcraft. They move pretty slow, actually. Um, I asked the angels, If we believe, will the Lord curse all the pests on this mountain and around and under the house? Well, Eve said, I am seeing a vision of an angel standing in the backyard with a flamethrower. He is waiting for our command to of faith to sweep this mountain with fire and kill all the pests. So we prayed and commanded it to be done. The infestation of millipedes and bullfrogs are dead by faith, and we believe the surrounding area of mice, ticks, and jiggers are dead too. That's pretty nice, huh? We had never ever seen a bullfrog on top of this mountain before because all the water runs off. So figure out how this could happen. You know. <laughs> uh, so Eve said, When I was at David's house, I saw a vision of a giant demon ten feet tall standing at the back deck next to the bird feeder. Well, she said, I, I later found out his name was Lorganos. He, uh, he had white eyes like he was blind, and he had large a large barrel-shaped chest and skinny arms and legs. He had his claws raised up like he was going to get us, and a large gaping toothless mouth. He was covered with large millipedes swarming all over him, and mice and frogs hopping and crawling over him, as well as wasps. So, 
David and Michael uh, said, We should go out and command the demon by name to leave and take all of his pests with him. So we did. And uh, now he's gone with his millipedes. <laughs> and while we were commanding this demon to leave, I, I saw Baruch and Jeruel come uh, and bind his hands behind his back and take him off in the direction of the flame-throwing angel in the backyard. <laughs> oh, well, a week later, we were still seeing millipedes and bullfrogs. And uh, I asked the angels why they had not been manifestly removed, and the angel Baruch said, it is because you are spending too much energy and focus on them. So here's what I did. The last thing I was doing, I, I quit sucking them up with the hand vacuum when I found them in the house. Millipedes are, you know, can crawl under any crack or through any crack and, and whatever, you know. Um, and basically, I just began to ignore their presence altogether. Well, think about this. You know, when you when you command something to be done, you're to walk in the way that a person who had received would walk. Jesus said, All things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe you received them, and you shall have them. So, uh, I was, the angel was saying I was expending too much energy. And, that, of course, when I got up in the morning and I would say, see two or three or four, millipedes crawling across the floor i'd get the little hand back and suck them up and i wasn't ignoring them but when i started ignoring them things changed uh here's an update about the millipedes i prayed that the angels would not only kill the millipedes and frogs but also remove their carcasses and uh, this is when they manifestly disappeared without a trace. So I wasn't expending any energy whatsoever, and I was just totally resting concerning it. Um, so they disappeared uh, without a trace overnight, and their carcasses were gone too. <laughs> so this was amazing because we had been cursing them, and they were dying this whole time and leaving carcasses behind. But when this manifested, we couldn't even find one carcass, and there had been thousands of them. They were gone, which is exactly what I prayed. Okay, now, so that should be a, a really good lesson for us, you know. Be sure and walk uh, as though you have received, as though the problem is over. And talk as though you have received, and the problem is over, right? Amen. Okay, so here's an update on the tractor repair miracle. Our tractor uh, had front-wheel drives on the front two wheels. The drive gears on one side broke and jammed up that wheel. This was some time back. Okay. We replaced the gears, which were expensive, plus our time. You know, we didn't want to spend time on something like that. 
But uh, later, the other side's gears broke. At first, we just kind of rolled the other side to make sure it felt good, and it did feel good. We didn't know that we would have any problems with it, so we went on just just changing the gears on one side, right? But then the other side gears broke and jammed up exactly the same way. But I decided I wanted God to fix them this time. And when the tractor was part way down the mountain, the left front wheel drive gears broke. And I, I was to pick up a trailer and put it, um, a tiller, excuse me, and put it on a trailer, but suddenly the tractor would not move forward or backwards. Um, when it was in four-wheel drive or not in four-wheel drive, it didn't make any difference because it had jammed up that wheel. So I picked up the tiller with the tractor and asked Greg to drive under it with the trailer, and I was able to just set it down on the trailer. So when Greg left, the tractor was still stuck right there on the side of the mountain. So the next morning, I asked the Lord if I could go and get that tractor and drive it up to the top. So I went by faith, and I got on the tractor and drove it to the top of the mountain, just like it had never been locked up. Drove it to the top of the mountain, and I parked it. And then we needed to move a tank with it later and discovered that it was jammed up right where I parked it. Totally jammed up. This manifestly, those gears were broken just like the first gears were broken, shattered, and uh, laying in the housing and jamming the wheel from turning. Okay. So I asked the angels, if I believe, will you fix my tractor? And Baruch said, yes, it will be healed. He used the term I use a lot when talking about physical things being healed. <laughs> uh, he used the term that I knew, understood, you know. So he said, he went on to say, only believe and don't doubt. That's the thing you always have to fight when you're believing something miraculous from God. It's doubt. that The devil immediately sends doubt or fear or whatever to keep you from getting this miracle and sharing it with everybody of how weak the devil is, right? <laughs> so um, he went on to say, all things with God are free. Did you hear what he said? It's free. Are you paying for it? It's free. He said, lay hands on it in faith and keep using it. Well, first of all, if I laid hands on it in faith, it would have to be uh, immediately fixed or I couldn't keep using it. So Eve said, Baruch himself will not fix it, but I had a vision of two angels in blue jean overalls over their robes holding tools in each hand near the red tractor, waiting to heal it. <laughs> so when Baruch said this, I went out to the tractor. Oh, excuse me. After Baruch said this, 
I, I thought, well, they're waiting on me. I better go, you know. So I went, I went out to the tractor and laid my hands on the gear housing and commanded it to be healed or restored in Jesus' name. Uh, then I jumped on the tractor and started it and put it in gear and it started moving. So I drove it down our mountain here, driveway, uh, pretty fast. Uh, normally, if a gear jammed, the wheel could have just flipped the tractor around or broken the housing, but it was smooth with no noise at all. It took, in other words, what I'm saying is it took faith for me to just jam it to the floor and go. You know, and uh, because I knew what could happen, you know, if if uh, this didn't work, but it it did work. <laughs> that's how you that's how you see miracles, you see. So I went to the mailbox, which is down at the bottom of the mountain and turned around on the blacktop, which causes one front wheel to go faster than the other. Uh, and there's no differential so this puts a severe strain on those gears, and uh, and they perform perfectly. Actually, they're soft uh, tires. The, the rubber on the, in the tires is a soft compound, and it grips blacktop really good. So uh, in turning it, I knew I was putting the biggest strain on these things you can put. I have a very long driveway. It's about a quarter of a mile down to the bottom of the mountain. And um, probably that's what really tore the gears up. Too much driving and four-wheel drive because we were on and off the blacktop, you know. And um, and it, it like I said, it didn't have a differential, so it was really a strain on them. And finally, they gave way, you know, after some years of doing this. So uh, I drove to the top of the hill. Everything was working perfectly with no problems whatsoever. And, of course, this could only be done if the broken, hardened steel gears were removed and new ones were installed along with the oil changed to get the metal pieces out because one of those pieces would have jammed it up again, right? And this was done in a moment. In the moment I put my hand on the gear and commanded it to be done, all of that was done. <laughs> so this is another confirmation to you that these angels are true. And they're uh, words to us, uh, which were always, according to the Scriptures, were true. Um... Later, uh, I needed to put the tractor to a test because we needed a loader full of dirt. So I went up the mountain with no trouble, and I pushed up a pile of dirt on top of the mountain until I had a loader full, and I came back down the mountain with zero trouble, no problems whatsoever, not any noises or anything. Um... I've noticed that God usually does not use the same method twice in a row, but he expands our faith by using different methods and so that we don't get in a, 
in a rut and think it is the methodology that is doing this. You know, he wants us to keep our faith in him and, and get direction from him, right? I'll just give you an instance. Um, I've prayed for refrigerators to be healed, and they went on working. But once the Lord had me to turn the, a refrigerator around that wasn't working and to look at the wiring diagram. Now, that was a silly thing for me to do because I didn't know how to read that wiring diagram. I had never read one of these in my life. But suddenly I could read it <laughs> and understand it. You see, God can give you understanding instantly, you know. So suddenly I, when I turned it around and I looked at it, I understood it and I could read it. So I went in to the refrigerator and pulled a part out from underneath the deck of the freezer. And as I did, uh, and was holding the part in my hand, a friend walked in at that very moment and asked me what I was holding. And I told him it was the broken part to my refrigerator, and he said, well, let's go get it. I knew I didn't have any money, but I didn't say anything to him. And so I was just going with the Lord, going with the flow, right? And uh, when uh, my friend and I picked up the part, we he paid for it. He, he just volunteered. I didn't say anything. He paid for it. And we brought it back and installed it in the refrigerator. And it worked perfectly. And this expanded my faith in God's power to fix things in different ways for every situation. Uh, I, I think that's why God doesn't do things uh, the same way all of the time. And we shouldn't predict that. You get to falling into a rut of uh, methodology here, you know. And um, so being led by the Spirit means that we are open to God using different methods each time to show His power. God chooses methods that do not give glory to man. His power is made perfect in our weakness. I had asked the angel Baruch about methods to get the gospel out in the future. And he said, The methods of man will not be employed to reach the peoples of the earth in the days that are coming. The methods are all of the spirit realm and will be administered by the angels who are going to distribute the gifts to the saints. Saints, of course, means sanctified ones, right? So we knew this. We had been seeing some things. We actually had, uh, I think Sandy went to the West Coast over there with, I think, eight or nine books. And she handed out something like 48 books. Every time she'd stick her hand in her, in her bag on the back of her chair, uh, there'd be more books there. Every time she went to her drawer uh, in her father's house there, she'd open the drawer and there'd be more books there. <laughs> so, of course, the angels were printing them and distributing them. And we knew that, you know. And uh, so I, since then, have commanded 
uh, that books be distributed by the angels, which they said they would do. Okay? So the methods are all of the spirit realm and will be administered by the angels, Baruch said, who are going to distribute the gifts to the saints. And these include gifts of translation from place to place, languages, in other words, you having the language you need to talk to the people you need to talk to, healings, laying on of hands to impart to others their needs and what they're lacking, and to replicate the gifts by passing them on to others whom the angels will point out. Supernatural downloads of wisdom and knowledge will be received for specific situations. See, this is what happened to me with the refrigerator. It was instantaneous knowledge. I got my revelation about the rapture, the truth about the rapture, in the same way uh, in the beginning of my Christian walk. A supernatural download of wisdom. Amen. So... um well, you remember Chris Garber's testimony uh, where he said, as a confirming witness to the testimony that Brother David shared about the mechanic angels fixing his tractor on 8-17-22, I also had mechanic angels fix my tractor. God gave me a dream. Uh, see, that's how testimonies pass on faith to people to see things that they normally wouldn't see, right? So God gave me a dream of two mechanic angels fixing my tractor radiator. I watched how they did it. Next day, I looked online to see if the repair had ever been done, and I found several videos of people repairing radiators with putty. Well, you know what a radiator looks like. It's It's got veins going up and down it that the liquid actually goes in. And in between the veins, there's these uh, webs that are for cooling. It's a thin uh, piece of uh, sheet metal that wigwags back and forth. And uh, as the air blows through there, it cools down the water in the veins, right? So if you shove putty up in there, it's highly unlikely that you're going to seal up everything because you're having to shove it up in these tiny webs and it's the veins that are actually leaking. He went on to say, I carefully applied the putty to the hole and I applied it just as I saw the mechanic angels apply it in the dream and prayed again and left it to sit for 24 hours. Praise the Lord. The hole is completely repaired, no leaks. I used the tractor all day Saturday in warm temperatures under a big load, absolutely perfectly repaired by the angels. And when I heard the testimony of Brother David on eight seventeen twenty two, I thought, I have seen the same mechanic angels here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, Jesus did miracles differently. He was led by the Spirit. Uh, for example, uh, Mark 7 and 33 says, And he took him aside from the multitude privately and put his fingers into his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. When I prayed for Michael here recently for his ears, I put my fingers into his ears, you know, according to this example. 
And, of course, he was healed. Uh, but here he spat and touched his tongue. Hmm. What do you think about that? Hmm? <laughs> and John 9, 6 and 7 says, And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, and he made clay of the spittle, and anointed his eyes with clay, and said unto him, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which by interpretation means sent. He went away, therefore, and washed and came seeing. Well, normally, you wouldn't think mud could heal anybody's eyes. And it really wasn't the mud that healed the eyes. It was when he washed the mud out of his eyes that his eyes were healed. And, of course, that's the problem, you know, um, with people seeing spiritually and physically is um, the earth gets in the way, right? <laughs> Uh, Matthew 20 and 34. And Jesus, being moved with compassion, touched their eyes, and straightway they received their sight and followed him. Just a normal thing you might do, right? So, But he wasn't held to normal uh, methods, you know. And he wanted you to know it isn't the method. It's the faith, right? So here's Michael's testimony. Um... We called it God Healed Deafness and Tinnitus in My Ears. Michael Hare, 9-13-22. In a hearing test online, I found out that my hearing in uh, the right ear was at a very high level of hearing loss, and the left ear was at a mid-level of hearing loss. The other night, I was lamenting my frustration to a friend, and they asked me to check out a website that was espousing a simple, complete deliverance from the tinnitus that I had in both ears with just a simple exercise. And if that didn't work, because <laughs> the methods of man quite often don't, they had natural things that you could take, etc., etc. Of course, all this is a distraction. That's all it is. I finally said to the Lord, Lord, you told me through the angels the cause of my hearing loss, and I repented of that. So this was one of those words that was given uh, to Eve, which she gave quite a few words from the angels to individuals to tell them this is what you need to straighten up. And when they straightened them up, guess what? They got the miracle or the healing or whatever it was uh, came to pass quickly. So that was another sign that the angels were dead on the money and speaking for the Lord, and they just wanted us to clear up things so that they could bring a healing, right? So Michael went on, and I repented of that, and now there is no reason why I can't receive my healing. So I got up and went downstairs and got David and asked him to cast this deafness off of me and, uh, and uh, for the ringing in my ears to stop. He did, and I agreed, and God did. It was not an immediate healing. At that time, I was going for a walk in the park, and so I headed out. And when I got to the park, I put my earbuds on to listen to the audio Bible and connect 
to my phone and hit play. And oh my, the volume level was way too high. In the past, it, it has always been set to max volume so I could hear. But now I had to turn it down to less than half the volume. I was ecstatic because I knew I had been healed. And, of course, this is a problem that's been getting exceedingly worse uh, as time went by over the years. Okay. And he said, I immediately started praising God and thanking Him for healing my hearing, and I praised and thanked Him the whole three and a half miles of my walk. <laughs> Praise the Lord. I called friends and told them of my healing, and we praised Him together. And I'm still praising Him. Thank you, Lord, for healing my ears. Amen. Glory be to God. Okay, uh, here's one by Enretta Wachira. I hope I'm pronouncing it right. 9922. And uh, heal from physical and emotional pain. I have been unwell all week, and the pain was increasingly getting worse. Last night, about 3 a.m., the pain became so excruciating I began to wonder if I was having a heart attack. I didn't want to wake my family. I was crying in the bedroom, wondering what to do next. There was no one I could ask for prayer. I was crying out to God, Heal me, Lord, heal me. I am so overwhelmed, Lord. Then I started to pray in tongues. And I believe the Holy Spirit prompted me to speak to God as my father. So I started to tell him everything that was going on. And then my prayer took a turn. I asked him to help me feel like a, a son and not a servant. I believed I am a child of God, but I didn't walk as a son and I didn't feel like a son. So she said, Lord, I don't want to be a servant any longer. I want to be your son. Praise the Lord. I felt an amazing surge of authority come all over me, and I started to rebuke Satan to get out of my body and get out of my family. I started to command him to leave. And how dare he come after the child of the Most High God. Hallelujah. <laughs> My father is faithful, and his word is true, and his word does not return void. Amen. Amen. The pain did leave, and I was able to sleep. I hadn't had more than two hours sleep at a time in the previous three nights. Hmm. Neat. I suppose the thing I thought was most significant for me was how I felt different inside. I feel peace and contentment, even though a lot of circumstances around me don't seem to have changed. And I realized how much I was striving, how far removed I had felt I was from God. I feel at peace. I feel no more condemnation or fear of disappointing God. I have love. I don't know how to explain that, though. 
not just within, but for people, not just within, but for people as well. It's only been one day, but I believe things have already shifted and will manifest in the physical realm. I pray this will be helpful to someone. Uh, God bless you all. Well, um, Father is preparing all in UBM to be provided for in the coming days of scarcity. Acts 2, 44 and 45 says, And all that believed were together and had all things common. And they sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all, according as any man had need. Yes, and we know Philippians chapter 4 says, um, uh, And my God shall supply your every need according to his riches and glory. And if you really believe that, you don't have to have a warehouse full of money behind you to feel comfortable. Right? So, this has to include those who are on the front line sacrificing their lives to get the gospel out. The angel Baruch said, Our great God is bringing back the first century Book of Acts church operations in part five of this series, by the way. Um, this is exactly what the scriptures already tell us to do. Go and read it again. This is what I have been living and teaching for many years was coming. The sacrifices that the saints gave to bring equality in Acts paved the way for a great revival, which the angels have stated is about to be poured out again. Amen. We're seeing the beginnings of a great wave of miracles, healings, provisions, Cars fixed. I don't know how many cars got fixed. Just laying hands on it and commanding it to be fixed. No, no physical changes whatsoever. So, um, we're we're happy, <laughs> to say the least. Okay, this is Eve Brast, eight twenty nine twenty two, and she said the harvest is ripe for the greatest revival. Amen. And Eve said, I asked the Lord Jesus to speak to us about this, and he said, My harvest is ripe for the picking. You may glean freely without fear of the enemy as long as you continue in faith and sacrificial praise and worship, lifting me up and glorifying my name. Your defenses will remain impenetrable as my messengers have told you. What a good message for us and also for the, the uh, missionaries. Mm. The time for hiding is over. I am revealing my glorious bride for all to behold. I am moving you into a renewed time of great grace in spreading my gospel far and wide for the greatest revival ever witnessed. And Eve said, I understood that uh, pockets of persecution will always arise, but the Lord will bring their efforts to naught. No matter what they do or say, it will result in a greater glorification of the bride and the name of Jesus moving forward, and the truth of the gospel will spread all the more. Yes, amen. 
And John 16 and 33 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So remain faithful to all my commands that my messengers have brought to you, his angels, that's what messengers are, angels, and your enemies will remain scattered, subdued, and under your feet. Fear not, my bride, for I am with you. So, I asked for a word by faith at random for this word from the Lord, and my finger was on the words. Eve said, He commanded, in Daniel 3 and 20, in context 23, 25, And He commanded certain mighty men that were in His army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their hosen, their tunics, and their mantles, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent, and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but it didn't slay them, right? And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down bound into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And that was all because they confessed their faith in God, and He delivered them and destroyed their enemies. Hmm. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste. He spake and said unto, in, unto his counselors, did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? And they answered and said unto the king, True, O king. Uh, he answered and said, uh, He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loosed walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the aspect of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Hmm. Well, it was the same story with Daniel in the lion's den. He was spared uh, in the midst of uh, lions, and uh, the enemies were destroyed that were thrown in there. Amen. So, uh, below is a praise report from one of our missionaries in the Middle East. Our giving is making a huge impact for the kingdom of God and for the great uh, revival that is taking place overseas. <clears throat> and this is uh, the head missionary. This is the, the man that started it all. He got all my, our materials, and um, praise God, he um, be, became a great missionary. So we call this missionary praise and thanksgiving for our giving. He said, thank God, thank God, dear brother David, mother Kathleen, and all faithful brothers, thanks to the Lord first, and thanks to you all. The money has arrived. Tomorrow I will get the car. Thank God. The Lord answers our prayers. Yes, it was a miracle. So this man was the leader of many missionaries in his nation, and uh, had to have a car. 
but he had to sell his car to care for and feed the missionaries. So, and that really put him in a disadvantage, him being the apostle who was traveling around and, you know, making sure things were staying in order and so on and so forth. And they have hundreds of missionaries and thousands of converts to Christianity. Okay. He went on to say, Before we knew anything about the money for the car or the money for the missionaries, bills whom the Catholics and Coptics attacked, uh, were we were in group prayer in one of the weddings of the missionary brothers where one of the wives of the missionary brother who died in the earlier attack was married again. So they had a get-together and um, at the marriage. We had asked the Lord to provide us with the car and help pay the missionaries' bills. And after the prayer, I felt something telling me that I should check uh, the Internet email. And I opened the net and found the message saying that there is a large amount of money that will arrive. I made uh, the brethren here to see how the Lord responded to us and made them read the message. And the Lord increased their faith and certainly in the power and control of the Lord. Also, this made some people who were afflicted with some confusion to increase their certainty and faith. Thank God. The car will play a very big role. It will save us time and effort. And we are also glad that the missionaries were helped to pay their bills. Thank God. Also, I write you letters when I have some time. We are now rotating and rearranging missionaries. Thank you all. The Lord is with us. My love to you all. Your brother is the servant of the Lord. And signed it, we signed it, XXXX. <laughs> you don't want to do that. So my response to, hi, XXXX, um, we are so glad the saints that are encouraged and their faith has been strengthened. God is good and faithful, and we are receiving more money. It's not the big money that we're expecting. Uh, we probably have enough to pay off the bills of the missionaries and meet their needs. And when we were sending the money uh, that uh, you just received, at that moment, more money came in. We were literally at the bank sending the money, and at that moment, the lady said, oh, you, it was just deposited, such and such, right? And we left the bank with more money than we had when we got there. <laughs> Praise God. It's not that it's not filling a very deep hole, I got to tell you, and we appreciate everything that people are sending because it's blessing, and this is the most worthy revival I know of anywhere. To support. So this money too is available for the debt um, or other needs. So if we send you the money for the debt, it should meet the most important needs of the saints. So if you spend the money for these other things, we will make up the money you need for the debt later. 
And um, there is a civil war happening between the factions of the Alliance and the Deep State. And we suggest that you buy some food and maybe, because that's one thing they're short of, the, many of their missionaries were eating one meal a day. And sometimes they were eating leaves off the trees. Yeah. And wearing their shoes out. Right. And I went on to say, and maybe even some extra fuel for storage as well as shoes, etc. And I said, keep on believing, Mark 11, 23 and 24, and Matthew 18, 18 and 19. And that it says, of course, Verily I say unto you, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou taken up and cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that what he saith cometh to pass, he shall have it. Therefore, saints, you have been given the authority to decree things to happen. And that's what Jesus was giving them here. Therefore, I say unto you, all things whatsoever you pray and ask for, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And again, Matthew eighteen, eighteen and 19. Verily I say unto you, what things soever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and what things soever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father who is in heaven. Oh, hallelujah. And then I said, Love to all, your servant in Christ, David. So, um, we are learning, we are being encouraged, um, the missionaries are learning and being encouraged, and they have a very, very sacrificial life. Um, they're willing to put their life on the line. I, I got to tell you, when people who were former Muslims um, come to the Lord, and, and people who were former Catholics um, uh, who had been former Muslims come to the Lord. They are powerful. Yes. And they are devoted to the Lord. Unto death they are devoted unto the Lord. These are the most worthy people I have ever known uh, that now need our support. And I appreciate so much all of you who have sent in support to bless these people. It is spreading out of their nation and into other nations. The same thing is happening in Africa. They have books that the Lord himself is spreading, and sometimes supernaturally, because those books only say what the Lord says. That's why he would. Do you think he would do that for everybody else's books out there? I guarantee you he won't. Because if you just say what God says, it's powerful. And that's what these books are filled with the Word of the Lord. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. It's no glory to me, it's no glory to any of us. It is a glory to you, Father. And we thank you so much for bringing all this to pass and all these souls coming into the kingdom. And it's expanding geometrically. 
because each one who gets saved talks to others, and they get saved, and it's just expanding. And all of it's got to be below surface level. It's an underground church. It has to be that way, or people will die. We don't give names, places, or anything like that. And that's for a good reason. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing. We praise you, and we give thanks unto you. We glorify your name, Father, for what you're doing. Hallelujah. You are an awesome God. Lord, I ask you to fill every one of these missionaries on those two continents. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Empower them with your gifts. Do supernaturally through them in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. All right, saints. God bless you. We'll do this again sometime. And Father, uh, thank you for blessing Michael and the the brethren who are listening. Thank you for pouring out your Spirit, giving them eyes to see and ears to hear. Amen. All right. God bless you. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again on this wonderful September morning. Let's go to the Lord. Father, I thank you so much for your word that is a more sure covenant that we have from you that tells us that we do have divine healing and that it is your will for us to be healed. And Lord, we thank you for that. And I ask for your anointing today to get this message across about divine healing and the Word of God. And I praise you, Father, for that. And Lord, I pray that it would help the people out there realize that divine healing is for us and that it's your will for us to be healed, delivered, and set free in your kingdom. And I thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. That's what I want to speak about this morning, is divine healing and the will of God. The Word, folks, is our final authority. Our experiences have to be judged by Scripture and not Scripture judged by experiences because the Word of God is forever settled in heaven and we have to settle it here on earth. Psalms 119, 89 through 92 says, Forever, O Lord, thy Word is settled in heaven. Thy faithfulness is unto all generations. Thou hast established the earth, and it abides. They abide this day according to thine ordinances, for all things are thy servants. Unless thy law had been my delight, I should then have perished in my affliction. Hebrews 8 and 6 says, But now hath he obtained a ministry the more excellent, by so much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which hath been enacted upon better promises. Folks, the Word of God is unchanging. It's unmoving. What it says today is going to stay a hundred years from now. And you ought to go ahead and believe it today. And don't wait 20 years because it still won't be the same. We settle God's Word on earth by believing in it, standing on it, fighting for it, and receiving it. A will reveals the nature and intentions of the person who wrote it. Folks, the sovereignty of God is not 
the fickleness of God. The sovereignty of God cannot mean that he has the right to pick and choose whom he'll keep his word to. Because if that were true, we could never pray the prayer of faith as commanded in James chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It says, Is any man among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with all in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save him that is sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, it shall be forgiven him. Now, I do want to make a note here. There's no such thing in the Bible as an unspoken request. An unspoken request is an unanswered request. I just want to lay that out there. Before you can agree with somebody in prayer about something, you have to know what it is you're praying about. Now, the written word of God is more sure than a voice speaking from heaven. Second Peter 1, verses 16 through 21 said, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there was born such a voice to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice we ourselves heard born out of heaven when we were with him in the holy mount. And we have the word of prophecy made more sure. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawn. And the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of private interpretation. For no prophecy ever came by the will of man, but men spake from God, being moved by the Holy Spirit. Once we accept the Word of God as our final authority, we have to begin to retrain our mind to think in line with God's will. The Bible is the revealed will of God. And everything we need to know about how to live the way God wants us to must be and has been provided to us. God can't require you to do what you can't do, right? God can't hold you responsible for what you can't know. Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. And be not fashioned according to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God requires us to prove. What's the good, acceptable, and a perfect will of God? And if God's will changes from minute to minute, from person to person, you can't ever, with certainty, know, let alone prove his will. And this brings us to the question of how to prove what God's will is. And this question is answered in the same verse that commands us to prove it. It says, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to renew your mind 
by the word of God. And you renew your mind by changing the way you think about things until every thought agrees with what the Bible says about it. And to do this, you have to systematically study the Bible to find out what it says about each and every topic that comes up in your life. And then you form what you learn into a statement, and that's called a confession, that helps you remember the biblical position. And since your mind works like a computer, whatever is in your memory is going to stay there until it's deleted and replaced with new information. And because of this, it's not enough to learn Bible scriptures. You have to pull down any thought that don't agree with the Bible. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 through 5 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they're mighty before God to the casting down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that is exalted against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You know, for the word of God to be truly effective in our lives, we have to reach and live in a place where our first thought is what the Bible says, not what does the Bible say, but rather we think in line with the word. And when this happens, we are experiencing our biblical positional standing in Christ as one who has the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16 says, But we received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, that we might know the things that were freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the spirit teacheth, combining spiritual things with spiritual words. Now, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. And he cannot know them, because they are spiritually judged. But he that is spiritual judges all things, and he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. That you put away as concerning your former manner of life, the old man that waxes corrupt after the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, that after God hath been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Colossians chapter 3 and verses 10 and 11. And have put on the new man that is being renewed unto knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there cannot be Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bondman, freeman, but Christ is all and in all. When we were born into the kingdom of God, we are born into the royal family. All rights of royalty are already there. Yet, we still don't exercise our rights to dominion in every possible area because of our limited knowledge and understanding of those rights. And as we learn our rights and responsibilities as the children of God, and that's, we do that by having our mind renewed to line up with the Word of God, 
we begin to start looking more and more like our elder brother Jesus. This renewing is what allows what is inside of us to come out and to fully allow the real you to come forth. You have to know what the word of God has to say about every subject. And you have to begin to act on all of those scriptures that you learn. Now, let's look at something that's probably more important in the area of healing than any other area. Romans 8 and 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Then James 1.22, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deluding your own selves. Oh, based upon a, a lot of teaching that's prevalent in the church today, a lot of people would say that these two verses are contradictory. Because the way H, Romans 8.14 is used a lot of times is to promote the idea that a Christian is not supposed to do anything that they are not led by the Spirit to do. And there are those that try to say that Christians should only do something when they receive a rhema word from God. Well, first let me say that they should go back and read all of Romans 8 and put verse 14 in context. The context there has nothing to do with Christian doing anything other than mortifying the deeds of the flesh. And it especially does not say that a Christian should not exercise any of the benefits of the atonement or they should not obey any and every scripture that can apply to them. Because if it did, we would have to add, if the Spirit leads you to before ever command in the New Testament. And this would also make James 1.22 not only misleading, but it would make God guilty of making you sin. Because how are you supposed to know when to act on the scripture and when not to act on the scripture? Mm -hmm. Because your mission as a Christian is to manifest the Lord Jesus Christ in every situation that you're involved in. You are anointed by God, the word says. 1 John 2.27 And as for you, the anointing which you received of him abides in you, and you need not that anyone teach you, but as his anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is no lie, even as it is taught you, you abide in him. A child of God is destined to be conformed to the image of Christ. Romans 8 and 29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also foreordained to be conformed to the image of a son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Folks, you're commissioned to do the works that Jesus did. And he said also greater works than he did because he went to the Father. And he did his part by going, now it's our turn, and our job is to do the greater works. John 14 Verses 12 through 14. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto the Father. And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you shall ask anything in my name, that will I do. Folks, you're sent just like he was sent. John 20 and 21. Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be unto you, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. 
you're supposed to do the same thing he did, which was in First John 3 and 8 says, He that doeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. To this end was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And how did he do that? How did Jesus destroy the works of the devil? Well, Acts 10, 38. Even Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Folks, that's how you'll do it too. You know, God always begins a relationship with a person or with a nation. By revealing his name, just like we do, which in turn reveals his nature and his attitude toward them. Let's look at Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. God's name is I am. This signifies the truth that God is the God who always is. He's not a God who was or a God who shall be. He's the God who is. God's always right now, which is faith, faith, is always right now. And if it's not now, it ain't faith, folks. It's hope. God is not constantly changing. He's always the same. He says in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6, For I, the Lord, change not. We're still dealing with the same God today that Abraham dealt with. There ain't been no shift change, folks. You're not dealing with an employee, but you're dealing with the owner, glory to God. The divine order or procedure of revelation or the revealing of things to man has, is, and always will be line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Isaiah 28, 9 through 10 says, Who will he teach knowledge? And who will he make to understand the message? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast, for it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. The divine procedure, folks, is to reveal truth a little by little. And that gives man the time and opportunity to grow into the knowledge that he's gaining. And the important thing to remember is that each successive revelation builds upon the previous revelation rather than uh, destroying it to start over. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 19, Think not that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass away from the law until all things be accomplished. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and touch them, 
he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Each new bit of information we get from the word of God ought to be added to our understanding in order to allow us a clear picture of this great God that we serve. And the first revelation we have is that whatever God is, he always is. Okay, he, he's it. He don't change. And remember that in the Bible, names always mean something. They describe the things that they were attached to. In other words, Abraham was called the father of many nations. Jacob was called the usurper and the deceiver who became Israel, which means prince with God. When God gives us a name by which he desires to be called by us, he's telling us who he wants to be to us. Bible scholars say that God has given to man a series of what are called covenant or redemptive names, which are names by which God has made covenants or unbreakable contracts with mankind. One of these names is found over in Exodus 15 and 26. He says, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his eyes, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases upon thee which I have put upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that heals thee. Well, when you read this verse in the original Hebrew, the last part of the verse which reads, For I am the Lord that healeth thee, is actually a name. It's called Jehovah Rapha. And once God established the name Jehovah Rapha as a name that applied to him, he revealed to man that he is a God that will forever be man's healer if, if, if man will meet the conditions that are set down by God. And here are the conditions of Jehovah Rapha. If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. The blessings of Jehovah Rapha, I will put none of these diseases upon thee. I am the Lord that healeth thee. You know, there's been a lot of debates over the years whether God put, called, brought, or allowed the diseases just mentioned. And if he can and or will do the same to us today. Well, the first thing to remember is that he's God. And he can and will do whatever is right in his sight. And what is right in his sight, folks, is right. And the second thing to consider is that the diseases he mentions were put upon the Egyptians, not on his people. The Egyptians were the people that had afflicted the Israelites. And we don't need to forget the law of sowing and reaping, okay? There's not one verse of scripture that even suggests that God has ever afflicted one person that was living right before him. Well, there might be an objection here. Job, what about Job? Well, God didn't afflict Job. Satan did. And objection number two, God gave Satan permission. Answer. Isn't it comforting to know that Satan can do nothing without God's knowledge and permission? So if Satan is attacking us, we know that God's involved. 
We know the Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. And that man makes his plans, but God directs his steps. And we know that the Bible says, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. And so what's the conclusion that we ought to come to if we know all these things are so? Well, we know this. Any attack is from Satan. But God has to give Satan permission before he can attack. And if God always makes us win, and we are in the battle, the middle of a battle, God knowing us better than we know ourselves, must know that we have the ability to win this particular level of warfare or he wouldn't allow us to be there. And if we're there, we're there to win, folks. So rejoice when you find out your battles are getting bigger and bigger. It means you're growing. It means Satan is having to send bigger demons to try to stop you, glory to God. And God being the lawgiver, the righteous judge, and the originator of the law of sword and reaper, takes the responsibility for the affliction of those who are in sin. Well, in this sense, does God send affliction, sickness, and disease? Well, but we also see in Lamentations chapter 3, verses 31 through 34, that God does not willing afflict. Now imagine a man or woman backing God into a corner where he has to afflict to remain just and righteous. Hmm. Lamentations chapter 3, 31 through 33. For the Lord will not cast off forever. For though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his loving kindness. For he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. So the first thing we ought to do when affliction or sickness or disease comes is to judge ourselves and to make sure that all our sin is under the blood. And during the Lord's Supper communion, that's a good time to judge yourself. Once you've made made real sure that there's nothing between you that would hinder your healing, then you ought to turn over Satan with a vengeance and with the authority of God and command relief. And you ought not to stop or slack up until you experience what you want to have, okay? Remember, God's not your problem. He wants you to walk holy and righteously before him. But if you should miss it and sin, repent before Satan has time to get to God with your sin. No one has a right to change the name of God. And if God in his infinite wisdom knew beforehand all the excesses, all the excuses, and all the abuses that man would bring against the name of Jehovah Rapha, our God that is our healer, and still decide to give us that name to run to in time of need, then we'd be fools not to take advantage of that uh, great provision that he's given us. Proverbs 18 and 10 says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runs into it and is safe. In these next verses, you're going to notice that one of the conditions of long life and salvation and deliverance and answered prayer is that we know his name. Proverbs 91, 14 through 16. Because he has set his love upon me, 
therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, and I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Well, as partakers of a covenant of healing with the great healer, we ought to move beyond getting sick and getting well, getting sick and getting well over and over and over again. Because we as children of the Most High should realize that if God promises to heal every sickness and disease and promises that no disease shall be upon us, then we ought to live in divine health, glory to God. Constant and abiding health that flows from the relationship that we have with God. A health that is the very life of God flowing through our bodies, quickening us and making us alive to the most extreme degree. And how can we expect to remain sick or diseased and still fulfill the basic requirements of being a believer? And that is to lay hands upon the sick and see them healed. Mark sixteen fifteen through 20. Man can only give what he has received from God. If he is to represent eternal life, he must at least exhibit a healthy temporal life. And this is not to say that if a person is sick, they're not Christian. It just means that they have not known his name. So they're not able to partake of the blessing that was so costly for Jesus to obtain, yet so freely offered. Partake of that divine healing covenant today by covenanting with God that as Jesus died for you, you will live, fully live for him. The divine healing and the atonement. You know, sin and sickness are two fruits from the same tree. Sin and sickness are always grouped together. Psalms 103 and 2 and 6. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all thine iniquities, who heals all thy diseases, who redeems thy life from destruction, who crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies thy desires with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executes righteous acts and judgments for all that are oppressed. James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Is any among you suffering? Let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save him that is sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, it shall be forgiven him. Confess, therefore, your sins one to another. Pray one for another, that you may be healed. The supplication of a righteous man availeth much in its working. Elijah was a man of like passions with us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. My brethren, if any among you err from the truth, and one convert him, 
Let him know that he who converts a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall cover a multitude of sins. That word sins there is uh, number 266 in the Greek, amartia. That means a sin and offense, sinful. It means to miss the mark, to err, to be mistaken, to miss or wander from the path of uprightness and honor, to do or go wrong, to wander from the law of God, to violate God's law, to sin, that which is done wrong, sin and offense, a violation of divine law in thought or in action, save a soul from death. That word save is 4982, sozo. We've heard it from David. The strong says that it is safe to save. In other words, deliver or protect, heal, preserve, save, self, do well, be, make whole, to save, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction, from injury or peril, to save a suffering one from perishing, that is, one suffering from disease, to make well, to heal, restore to health, to preserve one from danger of destruction, to save or rescue, to save in the biblical sense. Sin came into the world by man. Then that was Adam's sin in Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Romans 5 and 12 says, Therefore, as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death passed unto all men, for that all sin. Romans 5 and 17 says, For if by the trespass of the one, death reigned through the one, much more shall they that receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one, even Jesus Christ. Jesus treated all sin and sickness the same. He removed them. Matthew chapter 9 and verses 1 through 8 says, And he entered into a boat, crossed over, came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their face, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins are forgiven. Verse 3, And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Thy sins are forgiven, or to say, Arise and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath authority on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, go into thy house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they were afraid and glorified God who had given such authority unto men. Luke chapter 7, verses 48 through 50. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that even forgives sins? And he said unto the woman, Thy faith has saved thee, go in peace. Well, is healing in the atonement? Look at John chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
that whosoever believes on may in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God sent not the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way to the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread and there is no water. And our soul loathes this light bread. And the Lord sent fire serpents among the people. And they bit the people and much people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And Jehovah said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, set it upon a standard, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, set it upon the standard, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he looked into the serpent of brass, he lived. Well, those two passages refer to the same event. Yeah. So if that's so, we have a stronger scriptural right to preach healing through Jesus' crucifixion than we do to preach salvation. That's his common usage of eternal life. The truth is in the preaching and understanding of the whole or full gospel, folks, that God desires to save man from anything and everything that causes sin, that causes sickness, destruction, or death. And that proves that eternal life consists of more than just going to heaven. John 10.10 says, The thief comes not, but that he may steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and may have it abundantly. Isaiah 53 and 5 said, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Then First Peter 2.24, Who his own self bear our sins in his body upon the tree, that we, having died unto sins, might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. And the verse here quoted by Peter was originally prophesied by the prophet Isaiah concerning the Messiah. And those words used for healed each time was a word that was only used for physical healing. And that wasn't by chance, folks. Those words exactly portray the intent of the Lord. In Hebrew, it was Rapha, strong 7495, as in Jehovah Rapha, or Rapha, a primitive root property to mend by stitching, in other words, figuratively, to cure, cure, cause to heal, physician, repair, thoroughly make whole, 
and it's always used in reference to physical healing except once. They're used in reference to repairing the temple altar. In Greek, it was Aomai and the Strong's 2300. How do we know that these two verses were referring to the same thing? Well, because of Matthew 8, 16 and 17. And when even was come, they brought unto him many possessed with demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken through Isaiah the prophet, saying himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. You know, there's been some that tried to say that since Jesus fulfilled that prophecy, he's no longer healing the sick. Well, to follow that same reasoning, that would force us to say that since Jesus saved those who were following him at the time he went to the cross, he's no longer saving anymore. So if healing is in the atonement, it is an established fact. It is already done. For example, if a person puts up a deposit, that deposit is good for as long as the person that puts it up wants it to be good. Jesus made a deposit in his name. We can draw from that deposit by using his name. God has made us a standing offer of forgiveness and healing through the crucifixion. Isaiah 53 and 4. Surely he hath borne our grace and carried our souls. Yet we did esteem him freaking smitten of God and afflicted. So here we see once again the joining of the atonement with healing of physical sickness. And that's why 1 Peter 2.24 is in the past tense. That deposit or prepayment for your healing has already been made. It says, by whose stripes you were healed. And as far as God is concerned, you have been healed. Therefore, you are healed. So act like it. Healing is again connected to the atonement in scriptures concerning the Lord's Supper or communion in 1 Corinthians 11.23-31. For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. Well, I want you to know that Jesus broke bread first, just as he was scourged before he died. 25, in like manner, also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he come. Well, I want you to note that the two are once again found and bound together. Wherefore, Whosoever shall eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man prove himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he that eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment unto himself, if he discern not the body. And if you'll notice, it does not say the Lord's blood. Verse 30, for this cause among for this cause, many among you are weak, sickly, and not a few sleep. But if we discerned ourselves, we should not be judged. Now I want you to note that many among you 
that's in the church are weak, sickly, and some are even asleep in the Lord because they didn't discern the Lord's body. Not the Lord's blood, but his body. If one can become sick by partaking communion wrongly, then naturally one can attain healing by partaking correctly, right? Makes sense. Divine healing and the will of God. Well, what is God's will? John 10.10 The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So God's will must be that everyone might have life and have it more abundantly. First John 3 and 8 said, He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. God's will must be that the works of the devil be destroyed. Acts 10, 38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So God's will has to be that if God is with somebody, that they should be anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power, and that they go about doing good and healing all that are oppressed of the devil. Third John chapter 1, or uh, yeah, chapter 1, verse 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. So God's will must be that we prosper and be in health. As our soul prospers, before you can be in health, you have to be healed. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10 says, After this manner, Therefore pray ye, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so on earth. So God's will must be that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? James one twenty two. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So God's will must be that we be doers of the word, and not just hearers. And there's no qualification as to which word we are to be doers of and which word we're to ignore. So what's God's will? Matthew 22, 35 and 40 says, One of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, trying him. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like unto it. It is this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments the whole law hangs in the prophets. Well, what's God's will? Matthew 7 and 12 says, All things therefore whatsoever you would that men should do unto you, even so do ye also unto them. For this is the law and the prophets. If you were sick, and somebody had the power of God in their life to heal you, would you want them to come to you and minister healing? And anybody who answers honestly would have to say they would. And in your answer is the commission to the healing ministry. In today's Christianity, 
we have a teaching that has infected virtually every aspect of the Christian life and doctrine. We have had Bible teachers tell us that the word rhema means a special divine impartation or leading. And they have said that a rhema word from God was necessary before you could act on a scripture. And they have taught that you don't have to obey or perform every scripture, just those that have the Holy Spirit quickens to you. Those teachers must have received a rhema word from God to get this teaching because it ain't in the Bible, folks. There's been a lot said about the difference between the two words, Logos and Rhema. Here's an article reproduced from Vine's Expository Dictionary of Biblical Words. And it says, The significance of Rhema, as distinct from Logos, is exemplified in the injunction to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And here the reference is not to the whole Bible as such, but to the individual Scripture, which the Spirit brings to our remembrance for use in the time of need, a prerequisite being the regular storing of the mind with Scripture. Mark 4.14, the sower soweth the word. Mark 16 and 20, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with him by confirming the word with signs that follow. Luke 11.28, but he said, yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. In Romans ten seventeen, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. James one twenty two, but ye, be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. A rhema word is any logos word that you act upon. When you read a scripture, you are reading logos. But when you remember that scripture and act upon it in any situation, it becomes rhema. If you want more rhema, start acting upon more logos. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Everyone, therefore, that hears these words of mine and doeth them shall be likened unto a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods, floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. And everyone that hears these words of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and smote upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall thereof. Well, what is the purpose of or meaning of this story? Obviously, it is to convince us to hear and read what Jesus has said and is saying and do what he said. The only difference between the wise man and the fool is that one did what he heard and one didn't. There is absolutely no indication that any further leading by the Holy Spirit or revelation is necessary for one to be responsible to do what he's heard from the scriptures. Oh, it's always God's will for us to apply by doing a scripture to a situation that the scriptures can be applied to. If Jesus is the full expression of God, then why did Jesus never put sickness on even one person? Why did he always remove sickness and disease rather than put it on somebody? Jesus had healing services every day. Not once did he ever tell anyone to keep their sickness or disease. Anytime he mentioned the cause of sickness or disease, he always attributed it to Satan. 
and no one really questions whether or not God can heal. Even atheists would admit that. That he would be able to heal or wouldn't be much of a God, would he? Some atheists are actually one up on some Christians in that respect. The doubt comes in when God's willingness is to heal is brought up. Anytime the topic of God's willingness to heal came up, what did Jesus say? Say, he said, I will. And I'm going to stop right there. He says, I will. So if you need a healing, he'll heal. Just believe it. Go for it and stay there with him until it's done. Come against that devil with all your heart and he'll flee from you. Well, glory be to God. I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you next time. God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Though the mountains fall into the sea, though the rivers rise, I still believe. Oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus, I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, Shining rays of red and white Jesus, I trust in you oh, Sacred heart in you I find Mercy seated for all time I am yours and you are mine Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise, I still believe For your mercy stands and your word is true Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise, I still believe For your mercy stands and your word is true Oh Jesus Jesus, I trust in you.